0: CBHDD is reminding people that the Georgia Crisis and Access Line can help those worried about opioid and stimulant misuse. The toll-free number is online and is active 24-7. More information at opioidresponse.info. Hello and welcome to this Friday edition of Political Rewind. I'm Donna Lowry, host of GPB's Lawmakers, sitting in for Bill Nygut. He'll be back on Monday, back at this microphone. For decades, the first 100 days of a presidency has been seen as a marker of how active and successful a president might be in office. How much are they able to achieve in that first leg of their term? Well, the first 100 days is really an unofficial milestone started by former President Franklin D. Roosevelt. It has become one that can be rich in meaning and even symbolic. Well, yesterday marked President Joe Biden's 100th day in office, and he chose to spend it right here in Georgia. We're going to talk about his presidency so far, what he's promised and achieved, as well as his expansive and ambitious social plans, like the $1.8 trillion in spending for workers, families, and children that Biden announced this week. That's on top of the $2.3 trillion infrastructure plan he announced back in March. What could these plans mean for the country and for Georgia? A uh, purplish state that has become a whole new battleground between Democrats and Republicans, and we have an excellent panel joining us for me with me for this discussion. Uh, so I'm thrilled to have with me today Raina Cash. She's executive editor of Savannah Morning News, and we've been on Bill Naget's show together before. So I'm excited to have you here and to talk about a little bit of what's going on on the on the coastline. Good morning.
1: Good morning. It's great to be with you this morning. Looking forward to this conversation.
0: Glad you're here. And as always, happy to be with Patricia Murphy, who is the lead political writer with the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Patricia and I, whenever we're together, I feel like it's old home week because we we did lawmakers together for a short time last year. Um, and it was great working with you and I have so much admiration and respect for what you do and you're you just have this great political mind. When you're around actually when they asked me to do this and as soon as they said your name I'm like, I'm in. I'm in. Patricia's there. <laughs> How
2: are you? <laughs> Oh, I am doing great, Donna. And you know, we all love Bill Nygut, but what a treat to have you in charge today <laughs> duh, duh. when the cat's away. And um, it's so great to be with Raina as well. I think the ladies are going to lead this discussion. You know, uh, we're going to have a great time today.
0: You know, I like a la- uh, a ladies' show. You know what? Lo- <laughs> I've loved that when we're all together like this because this, you know, this female power thing is in- impressive. And you know, earlier this week, we we even saw the president. You know, with two women behind him as he gave his address to the joint session of Congress. So, yeah, it, it's we're it's it's our time maybe. We're we're starting to <laughs> arrive. Okay, so let's talk about this. Um, the president coming into town, coming to Georgia first, and when. Uh, he fresh off the, that joint session. Patricia, he started the trip by going to Plains to see former President Jimmy Carter and the significant in that Biden endorsed Carter's campaign for the presidency early on. Uh, he's sort of a mentor to him. Uh, yesterday's meeting meeting meant a lot to both of them, didn't it?
2: It did. It meant a lot to both of them. And Biden is restarting the tradition of of the President's Club, of reaching out to all of the former presidents, um, asking them their advice, getting their feedback. And um, he and Jimmy Carter also just happened to be good friends. They like each other a lot. And uh, any politician will tell you they remember who was with them first and who was with them last. And Joe Biden was there uh, at bo- on both occasions for Jimmy Carter. And so, um, you know, they definitely uh, had a chance to catch up. Uh, first Lady Jill Biden, was with Joe Biden as well, and Rosalind Carter was right there in Plains as well. So they all got to catch up. Um, Again, they're longtime friends, uh, but Jimmy Carter can also give Biden uh, some really great advice on the transition uh, to the White House, on dealing with a country uh, struggling with a recession, looking around the globe to see what's going on, um, keeping all of that in mind at the same time and um, just how to get started in an administration that really is facing some really significant challenges. And so um, that was an important conversation for those two men to have. Absolutely. And
0: when they met, what, about 45 minutes or so It's short, but, you know, the the former president is in his late 90s. So it's, you know, uh, you wouldn't expect them to have a long conversation.
2: No. And also, of course, Joe Biden had somewhere to be. He needed to get all the way back up to Atlanta. He made a special trip to fly from Washington to Columbus and then get over to Plains to go see Jimmy Carter, then get back to Columbus at Fort Ben and get back on Air Force One fly back up to Gwinnett County uh, to start that rally with all of his fellow Democrats in Gwinnett County to mark his 100th day in office. So he I'm sure they probably would have lingered longer, except Joe Biden really did have a pretty full schedule yesterday as well.
0: Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, Raina, how this played out on the, the coast. you know, I mean, it all happened with the president came to Georgia, though, despite the fact that he didn't come down to your area.
1: And, you know, I thought it's interesting going to Plains. Plains isn't exactly on your way to almost anywhere right it's a little bit right. off the beaten path and he had to uh, make a point of going there and uh, going through some other small towns and seeing other parts of rural georgia that uh, most presidents just don't get to so i thought that was uh, pretty pretty interesting um and uh, you know people here notice that he's sort of making his way around the state he didn't quite get to savannah of course during the campaign jill biden came here Um, Kamala Harris was here as well Uh, so you know this was an important spot uh, for them during the race but uh, just getting to Plains was was pretty interesting and I think what you know getting back into the country rural parts of Georgia uh, would get a lot of people's attention.
0: Yeah, sure. And and Patricia, getting back to Jimmy Carter a little bit, um, on Wednesday night, Biden asserted uh, something that was kind of a dig at President Ronald Reagan's philosophy. He talked about the trickle down economics that has never worked, which was a philosophy of Ronald Reagan's. But it showed his allegiance to Carter. Um, And, you know, Reagan made Carter a one term president.
2: Well, that's exactly right, and so we're seeing right now Joe Biden really start to sketch out the next phase of his presidency. The immediate phase really was triage and recovery, coming into uh, the COVID um, pandemic, getting vaccinations into arms, rushing through trillions of dollars of emergency recovery spending into the American economy. And that really was job number one. Um, Also, just to get a sense, I think, of a return to, I won't call it normalcy, what's what's normal these days, but a sense to a more traditional governing style. And that really was what he promised on the campaign trail and that really is what he delivered first and foremost. But now that uh, we are seeing, I think, the light at the end of the tunnel, hopefully with COVID, Biden's really moving quite aggressively into the new phase of his presidency. And he's laying out this agenda, an incredibly ambitious, extremely progressive, very expensive agenda that he's got. He laid it out in his speech on Wednesday night. And when he came to Georgia, he both said, thank you so much for all the votes and uh, getting these two senators in Warnock and Ossoff into the Senate, giving Democrats that Senate majority And then he laid out what's next. What is he going to do with that majority? Um, So again, laid out $4 trillion worth of new spending and new packages, new social spending in particular that he wants to do, and um, said very specifically, trickle-down economics does not work. That is when he segued into how he's going to pay for all of this. And he proposed, and I'm writing about this on Sunday a tax increase on wealthy corporations and on the wealthiest Americans. That can be a heavy lift um, in a 50-50 Senate. We'll see what uh, the senators do with that proposal, but it really was a very clean breakaway from Republican policies and a clean, um, very, very accelerated push into Democratic policies. So we'll see what he does with it now.
0: Yeah. So what was the response? You know, I know it was, a, you know, we're talking about up in uh, the 7th District, in, up in Gwinnett County, and it was outdoors. And, of course, you know, people are in their cars that kind of had social distanced. Uh, but uh, the response, I mean, he was he was preaching to the choir, of course. But um, I, how do you how do you think it's selling at this point?
2: Well, you're exactly right. He was preaching to the choir. I was fascinated when Joe Biden said we are not going to rely on Trigodon economics, we're going to increase taxes on the wealthiest Americans and on wealthy corporations. And he said uh, that the wealthiest corporations in America, many of them pay no federal taxes. And the response, I was listening very specifically for it. The response was lots of enthusiastic horn honking, which surprised me. Um, I would say probably the loudest, uh, we used to call them applause lines. I guess it was a honk line. Um, he got a very enthusiastic response from the crowd at that exact point in the speech with, which I found really instructive and fascinating. Uh, that's not, That's certainly not going to be the statewide response from all Republicans and Democrats, but at least to the group that he needs to get on board and the group that was there um, sending their approval back, not just to Biden, but also to Senators Ossoff and Warnock, who were there in the audience. um, It was a pretty resounding sound of approval, um, at least from that group that they had assembled yesterday.
0: Yeah, I know, Raina, family leave, he talked about, bolstering it, health care programs, universal preschool, free community college education. How do you think it's selling so far, at least to your part of the state even?
1: Yeah, I think uh, this is going to go over well, and I think it will be hard to put that genie back in the bottle. Like, you know, once this gets out there, um, it will be very difficult to turn the dial back uh, in, in the future and further administrations. But just the ability to get um, women into the workforce and, and, you know, greater into the workforce because you do have that additional child care and help. Um, Being able to bolster the middle class, you know, a lot of that is getting that education, getting that jump start. And particularly for uh, low income or marginalized communities, getting folks free junior college uh, could be a real boost in the arm. Um, for the middle class. And so, you know, that's something that people will embrace um, no matter where you are in the state or in the country. Uh, So I believe that that will will go over well. Um, I don't know what will happen four years from now, eight years from now, uh, whether this is something that is sustainable, uh, it's expensive, it's a big, that trillion dollars, when you talk about trillions of dollars, even Democrats (laughs) sit up and pay attention to that because those are big numbers. But the, uh, the lasting impact of that um, is, is really going to be noticeable and can make a difference in, in families, everyday families.
0: Yeah, it is a lot of money. It is big government again. It's it's something we haven't talked about in a lot long time in this country. And and, and it's it's kind of something that we're all going to have to wrap our heads around. Um, Patricia, I do want us to get to talking about your opinion piece on uh, another reason he came to Georgia in particular in just a moment. But so we're going to we're going to take a break before that. If you, And we'll get back into that in just a moment. I want to thank everyone for listening to Political Rewind during this GPB Spring Fun Drive. I'm Donna Lowry, standing in for Bill Nigget. Now, if you're listening right now, there's no doubt you tune in to Political Rewind for the important discussion and analysis this show provides. Along with my show, lawmakers, GPB has made an investment in covering politics and government for our audiences. And now it's that important time of year when we remind you of how essential your support is to GPB We're back with more Political Rewind. I'm Donna Lowry, host of GPB's Lawmakers, filling in for Bill Nygut today. And Bill will return to the show on Monday. But I am thrilled to be joined today by Raina Cash over there at the Savannah Morning News and the AJC's Patricia Murphy. Glad to have you both with us. Patricia, um, you, you had an opinion piece in the AJC that focused on the big reason why... The president chose Georgia to come to this week, the day after his joint message to Congress. Um, Senators John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, right?
2: Absolutely, and I wrote in there that it's it wasn't just Joe Biden's first 100th day in office; it was also. Raphael Warnock and John Ossoff's first day in office. All three of them were sworn in on the same day, on January 20th, and what a difference all three of them have made for Democrats. Obviously, Joe Biden won the White House, um, but Joe Biden would not have been able to govern. He did win, he could have won without Georgia. He could not have governed the way that he has without those two Georgia senators flipping the Senate from control of Republicans to Democrats. And, um, you know, the road not taken is usually not so obvious in uh, in anywhere in life, but you can just see so clearly what a difference it's made for Joe Biden to have those two senators there. He was able to pass that $1.9 trillion COVID relief package. almost immediately. And that was because of the two votes of Ossoff and Warnock. Um, That was something that Republicans had been quite resistant to. They wanted a smaller package. They were really negotiating it downward until the Georgia senators picked up those two runoff seats um, on January 5th. And then really just the whole world changed for Democrats. So Joe Biden gets these two years to really try and speed through a lot of the packages that Democrats have wanted for many, many years, and it simply would not have been possible without those two Senate seats flipping into Democratic control. It's obviously still it's a tied Senate, except for um, except for Kamala Harris. Senator Joe Manchin of West Virginia makes it feel like sometimes it's more of a like a two-thirds Democratic Senate uh, because he has a lot of power and can stand in the way and make a lot of changes just with his own vote. Um, but it's made a big, big difference for Biden and that's why he came here to Georgia. Um, also, Raphael Warnock is going to be back on the ticket in 2022. So it's a bit of a thank you note/ slash down payment on getting Warnock back into that Senate seat. They cannot. Afford to lose that seat for the Democrats. And so that's why Biden was coming as well, to give Warnock an early boost into his momentum going into that into that re-election
0: race, and the the target is already on him. Even though the, we don't have any, he doesn't have any. Uh, the Republicans don't have anybody formally running against him, but the target they're all they're all focused on him right now. Rafael Warnock, you know, I know, Reina, that they're uh, both Ossoff and Warnock are from Metro Atlanta. You know, so but they are Georgia senators. I wonder how the rest of the state is looking at at them at this point.
1: Yeah, down here in, in the Savannah area, as a matter of fact, we had a story just yesterday uh, written by Mary Landers, our environmental uh, reporter, talking about uh, the Okefenokee National Wildlife Refuge and uh, Warnock and Ossoff um, asking the um, asking for help in uh, exploring the permit permit request from uh, Twin times Mining, um, trying to maybe halt. Uh, the the mining efforts there in the and uh, protect those wildlife, uh, you know, sanctuaries there. Uh, That's something that perhaps would not have happened uh, if if it were not for Warnock and Ossoff, um, you know, putting a rubber stamp on that. Um, Also, uh, we we did a piece recently about uh, black farmers and uh, the help that they are in need of and and Warnock uh, really pushing uh, a bill to bring some relief. Uh, to, to black farmers. And so in, in ways uh, that may not be, uh, you know, doesn't overturn the ground and, you know, they just scream from the rooftop, look what we've done. Uh, it's making a difference in small pockets that are meaningful to people. Uh, the COVID release package, of course, and getting, uh, you know, that extra $1,400 into, into people's pockets. So um, whether you are, you know, on the coast and you're concerned about environmental subjects, um, environmental protections, you're concerned about farmers, you're concerned about COVID, uh, you're trying to get money into um, the hands of families, you're trying to get students in junior college, uh, all of these things are, are resonating uh, throughout the state.
0: Yeah, they haven't forgotten that they are they are senators from the for the entire state. So we're seeing some things in those areas. Before we we leave this uh, this trip that the president made to Georgia, uh, Patricia, I wanted we got to talk about um, Congresswoman Carolyn Berto and that that district and why that message was so important in that district. Changing demographics, we know that 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 is an example of one reason Joe Biden won the Georgia slimly, but he won Georgia because of that, and then the. The other part of all of that is it's an endangered district in a sense because the the redistricting process is uh, underway in a sense. Uh, We said we'll have to wait for those census figures, but uh, we could see those the lines change for her district, right?
2: That's exactly right. And so Biden's trip to uh, Gwinnett County was so important because that is the heart of Carolyn Bordeaux's district right there in the 7th district. Um, Carolyn Bordeaux flipped that seat in 2020. She is considered extremely endangered and it's important, endangered electorally, obviously. Um, It's important to remember georgia and those two um suburban seats the sixth and seventh districts um they have flipped for democrats but that doesn't mean they're going to stay democratic it means that they are hotly contested battleground spaces and so when the republicans are redrawing the congressional districts as they're going to do in the redistricting process later this year um it likely won't be until november we've learned um but that's going to be controlled by republicans because republicans control. The General Assembly, and the General Assembly is in charge of redrawing those lines. We know absolutely that Republicans will do what they can um, without being ridiculous about it um, to really draw these lines in a way that can be favorable to Republicans. Um, It always is the case whether Democrats are redrawing the lines or Republicans. And so the most likely place that they could change the lines make a meaningful district um, or meaningful improvement in their chances would be in the seventh district to pull out a little bit of Gwinnett County and maybe add some of the northern exurban areas outside of Gwinnett County. Um, Joe Biden won the county by with 58 percent of the vote. I mean, that's just a huge margin at this point for anybody. So that's looking like reliably Democratic county level data, although Republicans can redraw it to make it more favorable to them and less favorable to Bordeaux. Um, They could do something similar in the 6th District with Lucy McBath. We're simply not going to know what those lines look like until November, but we know those are going to be two focuses. Uh, Is the word foci? Foci? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Let's (laughs) go with it.
2: (laughs) Exactly, in November. And so Biden called out Carolyn Bordeaux, called out all of the Democrats who were there. He wants to give them a boost with this visibility and really let voters know and let uh, fundraisers and people willing to give their money know that these seats are up and they're very important to Democrats. Um, And one quick note I wanted to say about Raphael Warnock, he does have two Republican challengers. Um, There's Latham Sadler, who is a West Point graduate, and there's Kelvin King, who is an Air Force Academy graduate. Um, Both of them have announced against Warnock. They're Republicans, but they haven't gotten any of those big, big names that Republicans were expecting. Uh, Congressman Doug Collins has taken a pass on it. We haven't heard from Kelly Loeffler. Um, We haven't heard from Herschel Walker, who we know is uh, Donald Trump's favorite candidate in that race, even though he lives in Texas. So it's just really a field that has not gelled, and we have not seen this rush to run against Warnock that we really were expecting from the big name uh, Republicans in the state for that Senate seat. Um, that is a, a huge prize for either party. We expected more big names to be in the race by now.
0: Yeah, that's that. That's what I was thinking about the big names. I I knew we had a couple yeah. of challengers. Um, when we when we talk about redistricting, Rena, it's um, it's. Some people are nervous about this all over the state, right? Are you, are we able to hear you? Okay, did you mute yourself? Okay, there you I'm are. I'm here. <laughs> okay, but yeah, this the, every all eyes are on those census figures and what's going to happen in November and or right sometime in the fall.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it's it's a changing Georgia. The the demographics of this state uh, continue to evolve. Um, what we've uh, traditionally called, you know, suburban Georgia, um, it doesn't look the way it used to. Um, there are more families of color, uh, more middle class families. Um, everything about it is different, and it's not just up in the metro Atlanta area. Uh, the same thing is happening down here in, in Chatham County and surrounding areas as we expand uh, into Effingham County and Bryan County. Um, this, the state is growing, and uh, and so that's going to be a hot button topic as we approach November. And I don't think we'll be able to talk about it enough. What that might look like, and what the um, ramifications of it will be. Uh, it's it's to, to Patricia's point. If if the Democrats uh, were in charge in Georgia, uh, you know, we could. The same types of things happen, right? You, they're trying to make it work in their favor, um, but but it'll be interesting to see, um, you know, whether re- Republicans will be able to take advantage of that kind of situation and um, what, how extreme it is. You know, is it is it moderate? Is it uh, really stretching the boundaries? Is it so obviously uh, partisan? Um, And it'll be important for us as journalists to really keep an eye on that and to hold folks accountable when it comes to that.
0: Yeah, there's a there's a lot to think about when it comes to this whole idea. And I know there's a lot of jockeying right now without knowing any of the facts of, of the lawmakers, you know, trying to figure out where they're going whether you know, whether to, um, to stay where they are or move on or try to run for other offices. And uh, so, it, it, you know, it's, a, it's really kind of strange to have all of this uncertainty at the very end of the year. Right, Patricia?
2: It really is. And it's just, it really has just frozen people's decision-making process. in a lot of cases, if you are sitting in your um, congressional seat, or you're sitting in your state or house um, legislative seat, you in some cases don't know if you're going to be drawn out of your district. Do you need to move? Do you need to run for something else? Are you going to be drawn into a district with your best friend next door? Um, it is so hard to plan ahead when you just don't know what you're going to be trying to do. And so um, it's put a lot of these lawmakers in a really tough spot. I've talked to a number of them. They're just waiting to see what happens and doing their best with what they can control in the meantime.
0: Okay, well, we're gonna put a pin in that and we come back, Rena, I wanna talk about an anniversary you're celebrating, okay? <laughs> in the meantime, having a trusted source of information and civil conversation during these challenging times is an essential resource and GPB's commitment to be here for you day after day has been unwavering. I'm Donna Lowry, host of GPB's Lawmakers, filling in for Bill Nygut this morning on Political Rewind. And we are taking just a few minutes to remind you that your support is essential to GPB's mission and daily operations. That's how public radio works. We turn to those of you who value what you hear to help cover the costs. And here's how you can help. We're back with more of Political Rewind. I'm Donna Lowry, host of GPB's Lawmakers, filling in for Bill Nica today, and he will be back on Monday. Our panel today is Raina Cash, executive editor of the Savannah Morning News, and Patricia Murphy, lead political writer at the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. So, ladies, I want to get into something with you in particular, Raina. You're celebrating a a, a one-year anniversary. A, a, um, your, your anniversary as news director at the Savannah Morning News. Congratulations on that first. First of all, um, how are you feeling after this first year?
1: Thank you so much. Uh, it's been a year already. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's a blur. It's a blur, right? It's like
1: <laughs> one long day that started in uh, October and uh, hasn't stopped, uh, you know, once we got into election season. It's been an, a really interesting time to come into a new job like this and into a new city moving during the pandemic. In the throes of a pandemic, um, you know, right into the heart of election and campaign season, um, there's there have been so many things that have happened in this state and in this city uh, since I arrived. So there's there's been no shortage of of news and interesting developments and things to keep me on my toes. Uh, so it's it's been it's been wonderful, and I'm so glad to be here.
0: Yeah, well, among the efforts you've led is an initiative to address uh, enduring racial disparities, both in the communities you cover and in your newsroom, which I find interesting. And I I, um, I know that the mayor, um, Mayor Van Johnson in Savannah, announced a city task force to race to address racial inequity. So talk a little bit about what's what's happening um, with wh- how you see everything, you know, with your newsroom, with covering the community.
1: Right. So uh thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. Uh, First of all, internally, uh, you know, we're in a city that is uh, a majority black city, um, but our newsroom does not look like our city. And so it was important or it continues to be important for us to have a diverse newsroom who can tell stories about what's happening in Savannah from the perspective and through the lens of people of color. And so uh, I've worked really hard at trying to diversify our newsroom. We've made great strides in that regard, um, and it's making a difference. And, um, you know, we wanted to have a newsroom culture and a a newspaper culture that uh, really centers the stories of people of color and not just keeps Uh, folks on the fringe uh, to celebrate stories of success as well, um, to make sure that we're including voices and images and videos and, you know, it's multi-layered, the approach and we are going where people are uh, as opposed to hoping that they come to us um, and writing For people of color, not just about them, not just about the communities, but getting into the communities, talking to people, asking about what issues matter to you, and uh, taking our cues from the ground up, uh, as opposed to uh, from all of city officials and government officials and people in in authority and positions of power. That's important. We have to talk to them. We have to hold them accountable, of course. Um, But we also need to hear and keep our ear on the ground. Uh, for people who are living this life out here in Savannah. And so that's been um, our big focus here Um, and not to um, not to marginalize or push other people out, but just to broaden the tent, you know, bring people bring more people under the tent of what we're doing.
0: Yeah. And I think it's uh, interesting. You're the first person in a leadership position of color. Right. At at the Savannah Morning News. Do you think the community is noticing at this point? Um, what you're doing, I know it's probably a slow process, right?
1: Right. It's it's one brick at a time, <laughs> right? <laughs> and people are noticing. I think I I hear uh, get really positive feedback. Um, we uh, anecdotally, I, I get messages from people saying, you know, thank you for what 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 you're doing. I see myself in in your coverage now, which is really important. Um, so it is making a difference, and we're trying to do it in different ways, not just in the uh the words that we write but um in our videos our community forums that we're doing we're planning another one right now we did one uh what black and latino communities need to know about the COVID vaccine in which we had a live facebook forum and brought people in um you know our podcast and things like that so uh we're again going where people are uh not forcing them to come where we are but we're going where they are and uh, i think it uh People are noticing not just communities of color, but people who care about all of Savannah are paying attention to to what we're doing.
0: Yeah, and it's it's a uh, something that maybe other newsrooms can learn from. You think?
1: I hope so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So are
0: there are there little things that maybe other newsrooms can take away takeaways from from them?
1: Yeah, from what I would you're doing. Say, uh, you know, a lot of times uh, when uh, when people are writing about black and brown people and communities and issues. It's more in an explanatory way, um, as if we are explaining to uh, white readers what it's like to be black, as opposed to just writing about black and brown communities and writing for them, and uh, just um, just centering those conversations and framing them differently, I think is really important. And also making sure that you're including um, a wide variety of people in your uh, sourcing. Um, You know, there's the difference between uh, being on the team, me being uh, my sports background, being on the team, wearing the uniform, sitting on the bench, and being inclusive is being in the game. And so we're trying to put people in the game on the court um, where they can really make a difference and bring a a certain sensitivity and lived experience uh, to the stories that we're telling
0: yeah, I love those sports analogies. I'm always jealous of the people who can just throw those, you know, they just come off the tongue. They don't for me. I have to call my husband and say, oh, give me a sports analogy. that will work with this. So. <laughs> so congratulations on what you're doing and uh, much success as you move forward on all of this. Um, Thank you so much. We'd change gears a little bit. I, I want to get in, uh, Patricia, a little bit about um, Attorney General Chris Carr and and what's going on with him. He resigned as chair of the Republican Attorney General Attorneys General Association, um, and it, this, of course, comes as he is in a lead up to the 2020 um, election, where he will face a, ch- a tough challenger in uh, Senator Jen Jordan. And uh, others uh, who were part of that um, talk a little bit about what all of this means for him to, because what he is doing is going against them, uh, this group, and 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 of course the um, the Republican Party in many ways, the the Trump supporters in particular.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. So the Republican. Attorneys General Association um, is a very important group uh, nationwide. It was a really um, uh, important uh, post for Chris Carr to have. It was highly visible. it was a leadership position nationally for him. And the purpose of that group is for uh, state attorneys general in who are Republican to um, base, to really have kind of a confab and agreement, about what are conservative positions they could be taking in their roles, what are some Republican-oriented approaches they could take um, as attorneys general, which lawsuits could they join, which which laws could they work to uphold from a conservative point of view. Um, And it's also a group with uh, with a fundraising arm called the Rule of Law Defense Fund, that raises millions of dollars to get these attorneys general elected in each state. And Chris Carr certainly was a beneficiary of that in his own election um, three years ago. So the Rule of Law Defense Fund was very important to get him elected. On January 6th, this is when the, when it kind of goes off the rails for Chris Carr and um, and we call it RAGA, the uh, Republican Attorney General's Association. On January 6th, the day of the Uh, Capital insurrection, Uh, the group sponsored and paid for um, robocalls out to Republican supporters uh, in the days leading up to uh, the Stop the Steal rally, saying, please come with us, come to Washington, march to the Capitol, Stop the Steal. Of course, in his day job, Chris Carr was in charge of defending the state of Georgia against lawsuits and upholding the Georgia election, and this robocall has gone out to get Republican voters to come out and march against the Georgia election. Um, That put him in an incredibly difficult position. We broke the news um, that this uh, robocall had gone out uh, and that uh, Chris Carr was the chair of this group. Um, At the time, he uh, told us he didn't know about the robocall He's the chair of the group, but not the executive director. There's a staff in Washington that staffs that group. The head of the staff is the one who made the decision uh, to pay for these robocalls. Um, Carr said that uh, the executive director, Uh, would be gone and he would be conducting an internal search to really get the group back on track. We didn't hear much back after that. We asked again and again and had really no updates until last week when he announced to the group that he'd be resigning as head of RAGA over this issue, uh, saying that he had worked internally to change the direction and the direction was not changing. Um, I have to say he did not resign from the group. He just resigned from his leadership position within the group. That means he can still take their money. They can still fundraise for him. And so it's not been a completely clean break. I'm sure that Jen Jordan and Charlie Bailey, the Democrats running against him, will continue to make this uh, a very high priority in their messaging against Chris Carr. He's tried to distance himself, but it's not been a clean break.
0: Yeah, I am mean, that's an interesting distinction. I'm glad you made it that he did just pull down. He stepped down his chair, but not leaving the committee. I'm sure this is something we're going to be hearing about in the weeks and months to come. Uh, I yes. do, before we wrap up, I do need to, <clears throat> excuse me, ask you a little bit about what's coming up on your column on my, on Sunday, Patricia.
2: Oh, yes. Well, thank you so much, Donna. I get to give a little <laughs> plug here. Love so in it. my column for Sunday, um, I'm looking at whether uh, Senators Osloff and Warnock and really the entire Georgia delegation are going to be in a position to support the tax increases that Biden has called for um, in wanting to pay for this. He Biden has said, I don't want to increase the deficit with this spending. I do want to increase taxes. That's always a tough vote to get behind for any leader. Um, but I'll put a, a but in here. Um, Biden said when he was, before he was elected on the campaign trail, he did plan to raise taxes on people making for, more than $400,000. And that's what he's proposed. Um, Democrats are typically very quick to respond to questions about Biden's agenda. They love it, they love it, they love it. Nobody wanted to talk to me yesterday about the tax increases being proposed. I wasn't overly surprised, but we'll be keeping a close eye on this because, um, certainly Georgia voters, uh, many of whom would support the concept of tax increases, by the way, on the wealthiest, um, I think they need to know um, really what their leaders are planning to do with this proposal, and w- and we'll um, we'll continue to ask.
0: Okay, I can't wait to, to read what you've come up with, Raina. I got to ask you r- briefly: what what can we expect in the Savannah Morning News coming up Sunday?
1: On Sunday, uh, we have a piece coming up. Um, you know, the citizens' arrest law yeah. uh, laws were, were were passed, and uh, but stand your ground was not touched. And we just saw that uh, the three men, um, you know, who were being charged with killing uh, Ahmad Arbery were charged with felony hate crimes. Um, and so we've tied that topic together um, in examining the uh, the stand your ground laws. So that that should be interesting. And then a non-political story we have is about the it's the third anniversary of the crash of uh, the military transport plane that killed members of the uh, Puerto Rican. Uh, air national guard, um, and so we're, um. You know, taking a look back at that as well
0: Okay, well we can't wait, Sunday Wait, tune in, find your find your Newspapers, go online Thank you so much, Raina Cash And Patricia Murphy for joining me Today for Political Rewind um, And this is, of course A listener-supported Georgia public Broadcasting uh, station that Means your support right now Makes a big difference in GPB's ability To provide in-depth, insightful Political analysis like the kind you Hear on Political Rewind and other GPBs Programs. I'm Donna Lowry reminding you that GPB's Spring fund Drive is in progress. I sat in for Bill Nygut today, but he will be back uh, at this microphone on Monday to continue the smart, relevant discussion you've come to know and love right here on Political Rewind. If we haven't heard from you yet make this the time that you support us whether you already are a monthly sustainer or it's your first time participating in one of our fun drives. This is how public radio works. We come to you a couple of times a year asking for your support. Now as Political Rewind comes to an end, here's how you can do your part.